Welcome to SAS Talk with Kim, your sustainability action series podcast highlighting how local governments are leading the way toward a more sustainable future. I'm your host, Kim Lundgren. I've spent the last 16 years working for and with local governments to help them create resilient, inclusive, thriving communities. I started this podcast series to connect you with the key people on the ground putting sustainability into action in their communities. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to SAS Talk with Kim. I'm your host, Kim Lundgren, and I'm really excited today to have Chris Castro with us. He is the Director of Sustainability for the City of Orlando. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Kim. Pleasure to be here. There's so much to cover when it comes to smart cities that we're splitting this up into two podcasts. This is part one, where we'll talk about how smart cities integrate with what's already happening in cities with sustainability and the challenges that local governments face in this realm. And uh, Chris, you've kind of been growing in the ranks of the uh, sustainability directors out there and uh, really uh, helping put Orlando on a path to being a smart, sustainable, resilient city. Uh, So I'm excited Mm -hmm. to kind of dive into this topic with you. Um, Yeah, and I guess I'm going to ask just some little background for folks because uh, you're you're a couple years into your role with the city do you want to just give a little bit of background of kind of your transition and how you came to be the director of sustainability in Orlando sure I'd be happy to so I have a, a, a unique kind of background I come primarily from an entrepreneurship background so I've started several different nonprofits and and even a couple different startups in the space around uh, all within the realm of sustainability um, you know, one of the major organizations that I founded is called Ideas for Us, and it's turned into an international nonprofit that's really working with people around the world um, in about 25 different countries at this point uh, to advance sustainable development and uh, really help foster new ideas that could be solutions for a better future. Um, and, and so over the last nine years, been helping to foster the growth of that. Also started a, a company called Citizen Energy that operates out of the Washington, D.C. metro area, and it really looks at how to um, assist building owners and and managers with accelerating clean energy um, throughout the built environment. So everything from energy efficiency uh, to on-site renewable energy and and partnerships in between. And and so coming from that kind of technical realm and the entrepreneurship realm uh, about three and a half years ago was, was asked to join the city of Orlando's team in figuring out how to build an ecosystem of different policies and programs that would dramatically increase uh, clean energy and energy efficiency throughout our built environment here in Orlando. And um, about two years ago, was promoted to, to be the director of the Mayor's Office of Sustainability and have been working right alongside Mayor Dyer to, to put Orlando on the map as, as you mentioned, a leading, um, a leading city and a model for other municipalities to follow uh, on how to create a, a smarter, more sustainable, more resilient uh, community. Awesome. I, I love your background, Chris, and, and you and I met kind of right before you officially took the reins as sustainability director in Orlando after uh, your predecessor, John Ippel, uh, got his mm-hmm. dream job, I think is how he phrased it. Um, mm-hmm. It's so interesting that, you know, you don't find a lot of people like getting excited about local government work, like, hey, when I grow up, I want to work for the city. You know, that's just not <laughs> how it is anymore. And yourself being you know, kind of on the edge, I still kind of consider you maybe a, a millennial level age. And I, I am. Um, yes. So, you know, what is it that excites you about this kind of opportunity working in a municipal government? And how do you think we can 
those of us that are in the local government space inspire other millennials that have your background, the entrepreneurial spirit, and you know just that excitement and bring that to to government. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. I uh, I get I, I get asked a lot why I'm in local government, knowing that I've started <laughs> several of these nonprofits and startups, and they're like, "What are you doing? You should be in in the private sector." And and uh, really, what what, ins- what excites me is that I I truly believe that cities are the beacon of hope here in the 21st century. I, I realize that there's challenges at state and federal levels, and and really where the rubber meets the road is is within our communities. It's within local governments. It's working with our commissioners and our mayors to 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 make our own cities a better place. And and they're really this kind of petri dish for innovation and creativity. And and so you know being in this role for the last three and a half years, being in the city. I've been able to, to to see and almost balance my role as a community organizer and uh, still very active in that realm throughout Orlando and, and being in the mayor's office and, and trying to figure out how to balance um, and um, get people excited about local government. And I think we've done a good job at engaging the community. There, there's, a, there's a coalition of organizations now uh, that are really helping to advance mayor's uh, vision around sustainability, but, but really engage the greater community around academia, private sector, and other nonprofits in achieving these goals. And for me, I just feel it truly is where we're going to see most of the changes we need to see in the world. It's going to be at the urban, at the urban cores, and more and more people, as I'll talk about here, are moving towards cities. Right now, 50% of the global population is living in cities, and that's rapidly moving by 2050 anticipation of close to 70% of the global population will be in cities. And so when we really look back at where we can make the biggest change, I think it's going to happen in our backyards. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I love that you refer to cities as like the beacon of hope. I think that's so important. And, you know, having worked in this space for 16 years, you just it's, it's been awesome to see the evolution. And um, I, I think you're right on that. This is where things are going to happen. And it's the outlook you have is certainly the one our society needs. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. Sure starting with our topic on the smart city. So, you know, of course, Orlando has been under your your leadership and, of course, the leadership of Mayor Dyer, who's been just a fantastic mayor for, for Orlando and, and really been part of the transformation uh, through mm-hmm. the Greenworks program. You know, we talk a lot about smart city and like many things we talk about on this field, uh, smart home, for example, they, they mean different things to different people. And so I wonder if you could just kind of start the conversation really giving us that baseline definition to understand what's involved with being a smart city these days. You know, are there particular sectors? What are some of the cutting edge applications? Let's lay that groundwork. Sure. Well, first and foremost, I don't think anyone has a universal definition for smart cities at this point in time. And it means different things to different cities, to different municipalities and different communities at the end of the day. But but one thing is for sure, and that is that cities all around the world are transforming as we know it. Uh, you know, when you think of a municipality or a local government, you probably think of a landline rotary phone in terms of the technology <laughs> analogy. Yeah. And all of us are in this, you know, connected iPhone platform or connected smartphone platform um, that that um, obviously is completely nimble and, and, and innovating every single waking minute. And, and so 
really what, what we see is that cities have a lot of different pressures. Obviously, I mentioned the urban influx and the fact that we're attracting uh, a growing population uh, around the world. There's also challenges um, around, uh, and really competition around economic development, being a magnet for jobs, for talent, for innovations, uh, figuring out ways in which we can, can be a better government in, in terms of our more efficient operations, being more productive, more cost-effective. And then there's the resiliency and the sustainability components of, of this whole movement. Uh, and so when we were looking at kind of defining a smart city for Orlando, we realized that smart cities at the, at the core foundation use information and communication technology, what they know, what's known as ICT, to enhance its livability, its workability, and its sustainability. Right? It, it's about improving uh, the livability in that we're trying to improve our quality of life, creating cleaner, healthier living conditions without pollution and congestion. Um, it's about workability, enabling the infrastructure that's needed to compete for high-wage jobs and talent, um, whether that's electricity generation, whether that's connectivity, computing, mobility options, you name it. And then, of course, the sustainability component, which is finding that balance within our planetary boundaries, right, the resource efficiencies and the ability for us to become a more environmentally friendly, socially inclusive, and economically efficient uh, city in general. And so that's when we're looking at uh, smart cities, that's what we're about. Um, and, and I think when you're talking about what are the, the verticals or what sectors are involved, it's very, very similar to what traditional urban sustainability directors have been working on. It's about the built environment, energy and utilities, public safety, transportation, water and wastewater, waste management. Uh, you know, you name it. Those are some of the major key pillars or verticals that that smart cities uh, and uh, are starting to look at uh, more closely and figuring out how technology plays a role in uh, streamlining and making those systems more efficient uh, at the end of the day. That's great. I love how you broke down that definition. Um, so let's talk a little bit more specifically about Orlando. Obviously, uh, Orlando is no stranger to sustainability work, and um, I was thrilled to be part of the team that uh, helped develop the Greenworks Orlando Community Action Plan, uh, which is going on four years now. Um, mm -hmm. You guys have added in your SMART ORL initiative. Let's talk a little bit about kind of the, the overall frameworks um, uh, and how kind of things mm -hmm. are being applied in, in Orlando. Sure. And, and again, when I kind of talk about smart cities to, to the layman and people who have no idea what that means, um, essentially I describe it as the nexus between sustainability and technology to improve our way of life, right? It's really, it's, when you look at the verticals that I just mentioned, they're pretty much the exact same verticals in the Greenworks plan, as you know well, right? Helping to craft that plan for us. Um, and, and really it's about the same goals and objectives. We're trying to enhance quality of life, improve social inclusion, be a more economically vibrant and vital society, and of course, uh, protect the environment and natural resources. And we can do that through the use of technology, technology that collects information uh, about things in real time, uh, technology that then communicates that information across a network, uh, and, of course, computes or analyzes that information so that we can have either situational awareness, we can have real-time optimization, or even predictive analysis about what may happen, all leading towards these data-driven decisions at the end of the day. 
Um, in fact, we're in the process of updating our Greenworks plan as we speak. And what I've done is essentially made technology and smart cities an umbrella theme throughout the entire Greenworks plan. So as we're looking at the strategies, whether it's policy or program related, how, can, how will technology play a role in achieving the outcomes and the goals that we're trying to achieve? And, and that's really how we're looking to define a smart and sustainable future, right? It's really not anything different. Mm -hmm. It's that mm -hmm. intersection between everything we're trying to do with sustainability and resiliency and bringing this technological component and connectivity to the forefront in order for us to enhance what we're trying to do uh, at the end of the day. I really appreciate your emphasis on kind of this doesn't need to be difficult. It's not something new. It's it's a nexus. It's it's another layer, but it's kind of following the same framework. I think that's really important for people to understand, especially, you know, in a lot of the smaller communities that we have out there that want to do mm -hmm. something, but they look at this as like, oh, gosh, another initiative to add to my already overflowing plate. Um, right. So I think that framing is really important. Um, you're talking a lot about kind of the, the different about technology and the role it's playing in helping us create better lives in our communities. Do you have any specific technology that you're using mm -hmm. that has been really successful? Yeah, I mean, ton, tons of great examples. And each one of those verticals we've actually identified in most cities. Are like this. When we were kind of going through this process of exploring a smart city, we of course brought down uh, all of our department directors and divisions together to to identify what what are you what technologies are you using to enhance our services at the end of the day, make our services more efficient, more interconnected, more intelligent in in nature, so that we can be a better government. And we found that almost every single department and division had already been using technology. It, it was as if we were already becoming a smart city without having this comprehensive overview, you know, look at, at the, and a concerted effort to, to, to do so. So as an example, public safety, of course, being front and center for every single municipality out there, how do we ensure the safety uh, and well-being of our residents and our visitors? Um, we have a significant challenge in Orlando, and that is that we're not only a city of nearly 300,000 people, but we have visitors of more than 68 million people who come to Orlando every single year, the, the most visited city in the country. And, and so we have this challenge in that all of our public safety resources are also needing to be available for those who, who visit and who travel to Orlando. And so there's a couple ways in which we try to improve um, the response time for a lot of, uh, of these potential emergency events. We have what's called a computer-aided dispatch system, which is how most cities dispatch their police and their fire. And our um, CIO, Rosa Octakari, is, has been in the process the last year and a half of updating our CAD system so that it has a couple things. One is all of our vehicles now have what's called advanced vehicle locators, or AVLs. So in real time, we know where they are plotted on a map and they're literally moving around you know like uh, you know on our on our real-time map and then we're able to when an emergency response call comes in deploy the the, the closest resource the closest fire and, and police resource to get to that situation and improve that response time and additionally we're, we're now incorporating what's called emergency signal priority into the traffic signal system the intelligent transportation system the ITS 
And, and what that's doing is the, the vehicles are communicating through GPS and, and radar. They're, they're communicating to these traffic signals so that we can either change the light or maintain the green on a certain light so that we can improve that response time getting to and from the destination, right? So that's a, that's a way that public safety is incorporating technology to streamline the response time and get to a certain emergency quicker and solve that problem uh, much quicker as well. Uh, we also see that there's a lot of use of technology in buildings, in the built environment. And so the city of Orlando is in the process of rolling out a $17.5 million green bond that we, that we took out a year and a half ago to renovate and modernize a lot of our buildings with energy efficiency improvements. Part of those are incorporating building automation and control systems to track and monitor in real time the, the utility usage, energy and water usage within each one of these buildings and have a predictive analysis component for when the next asset may need some type of repair. Thereby, we're reducing the operation and maintenance ex expenses for the city, and we've already seen tens of thousands of dollars saved because we're, we're tracking in real time how these buildings are operating and, and using these resources. Those are just two. I mean, there's really great examples on, on how we're controlling some of our lake and, and retention pond levels based on forecasting future storms that are coming in and the rain intensity of those storms so that we can mitigate flooding throughout our neighborhoods. And, um, and, uh, and of course, on the electricity generation side, using newer renewable energy technologies to meet our demands, uh, looking at storage, looking at how electric vehicles could provide uh, backup storage, mobile storage device through vehicle-to-grid technologies. Um, and, and um, you know, so those are just a handful of a couple cool examples in different verticals that we've been looking into and, and starting to deploy. That's amazing. I mean, it's so inspiring to hear all of these activities happening. And you know, of course, they, they make perfect sense. But and you talking about them makes it sound like, oh, that's so easy. Of course they did that. But we know behind the scenes, it probably wasn't as easy mm -hmm. to get to this point. <laughs> and yeah, I appreciate like that you went through each vertical and, and assessed what technologies are we using. I wonder if you could just give just a quick little background on where were some of the challenges there? I mean, I have to imagine that there were some redundancies in types of technology being used in different mm -hmm. places as far as like it's the same type but it's different manu you know different software brands or something like that how did you get to the point where you're kind of just a little bit more cohesive as a, a governing unit as opposed to what's often happens in local government as you become silos siloed by department no that's a that's a fantastic question and and one honestly that that we and probably every government working on this is still working to solve um, but as an example, there's, there's universal principles that we've identified uh, in order to enable a smart city. And interoperability, you just mentioned that, the, the ad adhering to open standards so that regardless of the manufacturer, you can still communicate on the back end, uh, is a critical piece of, 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 of that of, of a principle to move that forward. Um, you know, one thing that we've identified is two key challenges for moving smart cities forward in our opinion. One is procurement mechanisms, because a lot of these new devices and companies have new unique business models that are disrupting how traditional procurement processes are going. It's no longer an RFP or an RFI or an RFQ. It is, it is a completely different model to think about. And that's, that's a challenge because it's, it's had us think through how do we actually move forward with this. The second major one is the risks that come with investing in technologies. One being obsolescence of technologies. Mm -hmm. What we're fearful is using taxpayer dollars to invest in some type of sensor that two, three years down the road is 
obsolete. The manufacturer now, you know, has, has created a whole new device that you need to now procure. And now we have all this junk and this, you know, these, the street furniture all around the city that essentially is, is harming our aesthetics and, and quite frankly, just not fiscally responsible to invest in. And, and so what we are seeing is that companies to solve both of these problems are creating new, new public-private partnership models that are beginning to really address the procurement and the risk factor around technologies. Almost this hardware and software as a service where they own the asset, they own the software, they share the information with the city, and at the end of the day, we're here to allow them to utilize our infrastructure and our public right-of-way in order to enable a smarter city. And, and everybody is winning at that, at that front. And so these are, these are models that we're still exploring on a, on a grand scale. I mean, you're, when you're talking about fiber, when you're talking about mm -hmm. sensors on our ITS, when you're, you know, these are conversations that we're having now internally to figure out what is the best way to, to um, invest and, and to achieve our outcomes without, uh, with a minimal impact on taxpayers and maximizing the overall benefit for everybody who lives, works, and plays in our city. That's, that's interesting. And yeah, I mean, we've certainly seen that transition um, to the software as a service model and, and how to adjust to that. Is that one of the ways that you're kind of helping stay on the cutting edge? Because, you know, if you're a city trying to embrace the smart city approach, like you said, you have to be careful of the risks. Is that, um, you know, looking at different procurement type relationships, is that one of the ways to mitigate, you know, staying fresh and on the cutting edge? Are there other solutions to make sure that, I guess, first make sure that what's on cutting edge is actually what your city needs, but really looking to, you know, put it out there so that you're being able to take advantage of, of everything that exists? Yeah, you know, I, I think taking a back seat here real quick, I want to mention that some of the, the, um, the mistakes that some cities have been making is chasing shiny toys, mm -hmm. right? The, the, I have over 150 vendors who have approached the city in, in just the last year alone, if, if not the last six months, that have been trying to sell us some type of device uh, to solve a problem we may or may not even have. And before we go down the path of identifying the verticals and what we're trying to achieve, um, before we, we, we invest in a technology, we need to understand the challenges that we're trying to solve and the outcomes that we're hoping to achieve, and then identify the technology that can match with that. And that's really what Orlando has done over the last year and a half, is we've taken a step back. At first, we were like, look at this technology and this one, and, and how can we apply it? And then we said, wait, is that even something we need to invest in or, or should go down the path in doing? And so I think it's important for cities to really take a step back and identify what are the problems we're trying to solve in the community and, and then identify the technology because the technology is the easy part, right? That's, right? that's the easy part to get to that point. Um, and, and so it, you know, that's really been useful in figuring out how we uh, move our agenda forward. That makes a lot of sense. And the fact that you've been approached by more than 100 vendors also underscores your earlier point about cities being a hotbed for testing these innovations. That's going to wrap up the first part of my discussion with Chris Castro of the City of Orlando. Be sure to catch part two, where we'll look at the issues of equity and access to new technologies, the importance of strong leadership, opportunities with public-private and university partnerships, the imperative of tracking progress, and the delicate balance of privacy, security, and transparency. Thank you for joining this episode of SAS Talk with Kim. 
You can listen to other podcasts in our sustainability action series at sastalkwithkim.com. Remember that action is the key to your community's sustainable future. What will you act on today?